Welcome to Disciple City Church Podcast. My name is Jerry Wagner, founder and lead pastor of Disciple City Church in Dallas, Texas. Thank you for tuning in. Our desire is to unleash a family of healthy disciple makers in Dallas to reach the world. God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can listen to new messages each week. Thank you and have a God-filled day. We're continuing our new series um, from the book of Mark called Follow Me. And um, last week we talked about Jesus who uh, has made people fishers of people. Uh, And this week we get a chance to kind of unpack more of what the scripture has to say about who Jesus is. But like every um, start of each sermon, there is a mantra that we have, right? There's a mantra. Anybody remember the mantra? Who remember the mantra? Who, who can come off the dome right now? Come on, watch out now, bro. Come on. All right, somebody listening to disciples in the know, disciples on the go, disciples are faithful, right? And so these next couple of weeks, we are in the know. Jesus wants his followers of Jesus to discern who he is. And that's what we are learning this week, and I'm so excited about it. So let me pray and let me dig into this text. Eternal Father, thank you so much for the rich Christian history that you have given us. Thank you so much for not only taking the gospel to Galilee, but also to Ethiopia and to Africa and to Germany and to Asia. Thank you so much for just expanding your kingdom here on earth. That even today, Father, as we celebrate uh, Black History Month, Father, we are looking at kind of this multi-ethnic tapestry of what you started 2,000 years ago. Now, as I open up the scriptures, Father, would you allow what you have taught me, Father, to permeate not just my heart, but those who are listening in person or through a screen. And we be careful to give you all the glory and honor which you are due because you are wonderful. And it's in Christ's name that I pray. Let all the saints say, amen. amen. This, this study became very personal to me. Like when I'm reading what the text is saying, both in chapter one and chapter two, it kind of stirred up some emotions in my heart. In fact, um, one of our members who is uh, in a hospital with his firstborn child who is fighting for his life right now sent me a text this morning asking that we will pray for their newborn child who is not able to breathe on his own at the current moment. And so that emotion is sitting in my heart as I'm proclaiming God's word. And then as I'm reading the text, Uh, the emotion of my past came back to my memory as I'm reading this text and it's all centered around one word, authority. Authority. See, when the young man sends the text to me, I know that God has the authority to heal this child. But I struggle because I'm asking a question, but why aren't you healing him, God? And then all of a sudden, my struggles with authority 
came rushing back to my mind as I began to look at this text. And I couldn't help but to remember that at one point in my life, I hated male authority. Like, like, like a, a man could not tell me anything. And the intensity of this pain came from me growing up without a father. And so when a man would speak to me, there was something foreign about that voice. There was something foreign about the tone of his voice giving me a directive. And when he would speak to me, it caused in me a challenge. And I would look at this man and all of a sudden I created this challenge in my heart because why are you speaking to me? So I used to ask myself the question like, Jerry, where is this hostility coming from? And I used to say all the time, you're not my daddy. Don't talk to me. You ain't my daddy. Now, biologically, I understood that this person was not my father. But what was this, what was this young man saying in his heart? I was literally saying, where is my father? Because the authority that I longed for and the authority that I really wanted was absent. So the question I ask myself every day, even sometimes, even now, even though I am a father, is where is my dad? And I'll tell you a story about him a little later. How I saw my father affected how I responded to authority. How I saw my father on earth affected how I responded to authority here. Here's the transition. What is true in the physical can also be true in the spiritual. How you see God will affect how you respond to his authority. All right. What is true in the physical is also true in the spiritual, that how you see God can affect how you respond to his authority. Now, for some of you all, it's not parental pain that has hijacked God's authority, but for some, it's governmental pain. Uh, The government has clouded your view of what real authority is. For others, it's not government, but it's just life itself that has affected your attitude towards authority. For others, it's siblings, (laughs) how your siblings treated you when you were growing up. For others, it's your boss and the person that you're working for. If you're an entrepreneur, don't look too closely, (laughs) right? For others, it's an environment that has kind of skewed your view of authorities. But the reality for some of us is just our disposition. (laughs) We have this adverse response to authority. In fact, it reminds me of this story that I heard about a sheriff. And this sheriff went to go visit a farmer. And when he went to go visit this farmer, he said to him, sir, I came here to check your farm for illegal drugs. The farmer puzzled, like, what are, you, what are you talking about? He says, whatever, man, you can check my farm, but don't go over to that field over there. 
the sheriff got upset because all of a sudden this person is telling him what to do. He says, sir, do you see this badge? Do you see this badge? This badge gives me the authority of the entire sheriff department. I can go wherever I want, whenever I want. No questions asked and no answers given. <laughs> the farmer looked at him and was like, all right, bro, do, do your thing, man. So the, the farmer went to go work on the farm. And a few minutes later, he hears screaming. The sheriff is running for his life, followed by this massive prize bull. Help! Help! And the more he runs, the closer and closer the bull gets to him. The farmer drops his tool, walks to the fence, and at the top of his lungs, he screams, Sheriff, your badge! Your badge! Show him your badge! <laughs> All of us, somewhere in our hearts, struggle with authority. <laughs> but the question that every disciple of Jesus have to ask and answer is what is your response to Jesus' authority? All right. What is your response when you witness the authority of Jesus? In fact, the scriptures that you heard read by Jamal is the very question that Mark is asking his readers. In fact, the first lesson that Jesus teaches his disciples, the ones he have transformed into these fishers of men, is what it means to see the authority of God. It's funny, but when I read this text, there are so many emotions in this text. We're going to see those who are astonished by the authority of God. We're going to see those who are amazed by the authority of God. But we're also going to see those who are angry at the authority of God, which leaves us with a singular question. What will your response be when you see the authority of God? And so let's begin this journey. When you enter into the text of Mark, the first lesson that Jesus teaches his newly trained disciples is his authority. And the first aspect of authority that Jesus wants his disciples to understand is that Jesus has authority in teaching. Right? That Jesus is the primary, the singular authority in teaching. Look at verses 21 and 22. The scene is set up perfectly. Jesus enters into this space called Capernaum, which is a major trade and economic location, but Jesus ain't there for that. Jesus is not there to do business on trading and economics. In fact, the first place that Jesus went was not the marketplace. The first place that Jesus went to was the church, the synagogue in this context. In fact, if you look at verses 21, it says they went into Capernaum and right away, right? 
In other words, Jesus wasted no time when he entered into Capernaum. Right away, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath, the day of communal worship for the Jewish community. I wonder that if Jesus was to come back just temporarily, if he would visit Disciple City Church. And I wonder that when he will walk in and hearing the teaching that is coming from the pulpit or the classroom, what he will say. Jesus went to the church the Sabbath. And one thing you have to understand about a synagogue, the setup was similar in regards to a church service. They would pray. They would worship. They would read the scriptures from both the law and the prophets. This is the setup that Jesus is walking in. And I believe as soon as they read the Old Testament scripture, the text says that Jesus began to teach. As soon as they finished, as soon as the songs were over, as soon as the book was closed, the text says Jesus began to teach. But there was something very different about the way that Jesus taught. There was something very different that caused an uproar or an emotional explosion. In fact, Mark does not tell us how he taught. He tells us, I'm sorry, Mark does not tell us what he taught. He tells us how he taught. In other words, It's the authority rather than the content that's important to Mark. I love it. I love it. The text says in verse 22, they were astonished at his teaching. Why? Like, I'm looking at this. Why such an emotional eruption? Because the way he was teaching was as one who had authority and not like scribes. They were astonished. They were overwhelmed because the things that was coming out of Jesus' mouth, they had never heard it before, right? The word authority here comes from the Greek word exousia, X-U-C-A, okay? That's all you got to remember, right? And the reason why I'm telling you this word is because when you continue to read the book of Mark, you're going to keep running into this word called authority, Why does Mark want you to understand exousia? Because he wants you to understand that Jesus himself has absolute power to command, to control, and to govern. However, Mark contrasts Jesus' teaching with the teachings of the scribes. And the reason why this is important for us to understand is because when the scribes were teach, they would cite people. They would quote people. You know the rabbi so-and-so said. You know the rabbi so-and-so taught. In other words, they cited people to validate their point. Jesus says, I don't need a source because I am the source. Jesus says, I don't need to quote anyone else because I am the standard of this quote. And all of a sudden, Jesus was pointing to who he really is. Oh, I love that. I I wonder if we get to a point in our life when we are quoting more of what Jesus said than more of what the preacher has said. 
I wonder if we get to a point that we're quoting more of what is extracted from the scriptures than our own circumstances. Why do we need to know that Jesus is the authority in, t- in, in teaching? It's so that we may know that he is the standard by which all things are measured. <laughs> right? Like the reason why we need to know this, because everything that we teach and everything that we hear must filter through the one who's authoritative. Right? Like Jesus is the authority. He's the standard of psychology. Jesus is the authority and the standard of theology, of anthropology. He's the standard and the authority on love, on relationships, on conflict, on singleness. Jesus says, if you want to know about a subject, he says, come to me first. You want to know about creation? Go to Genesis. You want to know about gender? Go to Genesis. Do you want to know about singleness? Look at my life. If you want to know about marriage, go to the scripture. Jesus says, the reason why you need to know that I am the authority on all things is so that you may filter all the information that you are, that you are gaining in this information age through me. One of the things, man, that my pastor taught me a long time ago, he says, when you are going through something, he says, you need to ask yourself two questions. He says, the first question you need to ask is, what does God say about it? He says, the second question you need to ask and answer is, what has God told you to do about what he said? Right? If you're going to stand in the position of Jesus being the authority in teaching, you have to see what he said first. You know, it's hard to be deceived if you know the truth. <laughs> right? Like it's, it's, it's difficult to be deceived when you know the truth. I tried to trick my baby one day. I, you know, I was like, <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I was, <laughs> my children take my phone. Don't know why they take my phone, but your child might take your phone too. And I said, you know what? I, Daddy don't know where the phone is. Put it in my pocket. Daddy don't know where the phone is. And they said, no, it's in your pocket. And I'm like, no, it's not in my pocket. Daddy don't know where the phone is. It's in your pocket. And then they started saying, it's in your pocket, Daddy. I'm like, watch your tone. I'm the authority in this situation. Watch your tone. Right? It's hard to be deceived when you know truth. All right? And so Jesus says, I am the authority in teaching. Here's the second thing. Jesus has authority over demons. Jesus has authority over demons. Once again, like last week, Mark should have been a movie director. Right? He, he should have been a movie because when you read the passage and you see how he's flipping in and out of scenes, how they all of a sudden you, you're doing this and all of a sudden this comes. Like Jesus is teaching, right? Cooking in the synagogue. And the text says all of a sudden a demon-possessed man interrupts him and starts yelling. Yelling in the synagogue, yelling in the church. Look at verse 23 and 24. Just then, with an unclean spirit, was in their synagogue this demon-possessed man. And here's what he did. He cried out, what 
do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. I can imagine what my response would be if somebody just interrupt me. I'm hoping I'm walking in the spirit at the time. Right? But this demon-possessed man interrupts Jesus while he's teaching. And the first thing that Mark wants you to understand is that this man is classified as unclean. Unclean speaks of something that is ritually defiled or unholy. And anything that is unholy and anything that is defiled cannot be in the presence of God or be used of God. That's why when he says to Jesus, the Holy One, he understands that Jesus is the epitome of holiness. And when Jesus shows up in the midst of demonic manifestation, it cannot remain because he that is holy is present. And I love the Hebrew idiom right here. The Hebrew idiom right here is, what do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Right? If you were to really translate that, you know what he was saying? Why are you here bothering me? Mind your own business, Jesus. This has nothing to do with you. <laughs> this is what the demon is saying to Jesus. And when you read that and you see that this demon is saying these things to Jesus, it's because the demon knows something that has already been written in the beginning. And that is Jesus the seed of the woman is coming to crush the head of the serpent. <laughs> Are you coming here to destroy me, Jesus? I know what the scripture says, which reminds you that demons know scriptures too. And if you're not versed in this Bible, if you're not unpacking this scriptures, demons have a way of coming alongside of you and distorting the word of God. But this demon understands what the scriptures are already validated, and that is Jesus is coming to destroy them. But when I read this text, I'm both excited because I know Jesus will one day kill all things that are dark and decaying and demonic. But it also puzzled me. Did you notice that the text says, I know who you are? Right? <laughs> like, I know who you are, the Holy One at God. Now, at first glance, the demon reveals the identity of Jesus. He reveals that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, when you read throughout the book of Mark, Jesus is constantly telling people to be quiet. Shh, don't tell people who I am. But all of a sudden, this demon is revealing who Christ is. And this is a spiritual being. Spiritual beings still have access to the heavenly realms. And so if this demon who is afraid that he's about to lose his life is confessing that Jesus is the Messiah, then I think we might need to listen. I believe Mark's demonic confessions that you're going to see throughout this whole entire narrative is confirming that Jesus is who he says he is. That's at first glance. 
But then I begin to think, what would the ancient readers have thought when they heard this? Like, what, what would they have thought when they heard, I know who you are? And it dawned on me, in the ancient world, that statement about identifying somebody's name was used as to gain authority. Right? See, in the ancient world, you would call out a demon's name so that you might have authority over that demon. See, the reason why this demon is saying the identity of Christ is because he's trying to muscle up on Christ. Right? He's trying to show authority over Jesus, but to no avail. Because Jesus in verse 25 and verse 26 says, Jesus rebuked him and said, be silent. Come out of him now. And the unclean spirit threw him into convulsions, shouted with a loud voice and came out of him. Jesus says, I'm the authority figure right here. When I speak, things move. When I speak, things obey. When I speak, things are broken. See, I've learned that there's a difference between being talented and being powerful. See, when you're talented, right, you can draw people in. But when you're powerful, it doesn't take you long to break stuff. A lot of people are walking around talented, but only Jesus can sit there and say, I'm powerful. And notice something else. Jesus spoke to demonstrate his authority. The demon came out of him and he didn't use an incantation. He didn't use a spell. He didn't use incense and sages. He didn't use candles. Jesus says, I don't need all these things because my authority is enough. See, some of you all are walking around using external things to drive out demons, and all you're doing is making your apartment smell good. All you're doing is making the demon comfortable on your couch. Jesus says, I'm the authority here. I'm the one who's driving out demons. Use my name because every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. (laughs) Woo! (laughs) Made me get goosebumps on that one. How is this relevant to our lives? Contrary to popular belief, the kingdom of God is still more powerful than the kingdom of Satan. Right? Contrary to popular belief, the kingdom of God is still more powerful than the kingdom of Satan. And when we stand on the principles of the kingdom, we drive out all things demonic. But notice the crowd's response. The text says in verse 27 and 28, they were all amazed. And so they begin to ask each other, what is this? A new teaching with authority? He commanded even the unclean spirits and they obey. And at once the news about him spread it throughout the entire vicinity of Galilee. I love in this text that before they mention the demonic exorcism, 
they mentioned the teaching of the kingdom. That's the key. That's the key. Right? He's not exalting his authority over demons, although he could. What he's exalting is the kingdom message of repent and believe in the good news of Jesus. That's the very thing that's driving demonic spirits out. That's the very thing that's going to change the hearts of not just the people in here, but the people who are not followers. Use the kingdom teaching of Jesus to drive out demonic forces that are trying to hold you captive. Here's the third thing. Jesus has authority and teach, um, yes, Jesus has authority over sin. The, the, the whole text has been showing you that he has authority in teaching, he has authority over demons, and now the text is about to teach you that he has authority in sin. And so we jump over to chapter two. The reason why this one is important, the reason why I think your ears need to be perked up to listen to this aspect of because sin is the greatest pandemic in the world. It's the greatest pandemic in the world. It's the very thing that has affected every human being that has ever existed, past, present, and future. Sin is so bad that it even affected the physical world. That now when we plant, both thorns and thistles come forth. Sin is so bad that it has even affected every relational category on earth. Mother and daughter. Father and son. Husband and wife. Dog and cat. Rat and snake. Like it, it messed up everybody. <laughs> it has created death decay and darkness and as a result it has become an enemy of light and yet Jesus is about to declare that he has authority over sin and once again we're in Capernaum once again we are in the capital of market and goods potentially at the house of Peter and Andrew in fact, me and Ryan Sears had a chance to visit Peter's house in Capernaum when we was in Israel. And when you look at chapter two and you look at verses one through four, it's a beautiful story that's being painted. A group of friends, four to be exact, is carrying their paralytic or paralyzed friend to get healing from Jesus. I hope I got some friends like that. And the problem was the house was too packed. It was filled with everyone, and, it, and if there's any indication that the house that I saw, no more than 10, 20 people can fit in that house. The text says it was packed wall to wall, even the doorway. And then all of a sudden, these brothers climbed up on the roof, began to tear the roof apart just so their friend can see Jesus. Who gonna pay for that, man? I get that you want to see Jesus, but who going to pay for that? All right. And so they lower their friend down to see Jesus. And verse five is where we pick up. It says, seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. 
Remember, all the responses that we have seen so far is people being astonished, people being amazed. So now this man, this paralytic man who cannot walk is about to be healed by Jesus. And the emotion that we experience is anger. Anger? Verse 6 says, but some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. In other words, they were thinking to themselves. This is internal dialogue, not external. They, they didn't do this out loud. This is something that they're, this is one of those things when you turn your face up like she ain't all that. But you don't say it out loud. Why does he speak like this is what they are saying in their hearts. He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sin? But God, what are they questioning? His authority. They are questioning his authority because the only person who can forgive sin is God above. So how are you doing this, Jesus? But it's also an indirect way of confessing who Jesus really is. Right. Remember, the demon said, I know who you are. And all of a sudden, only God can do this. Hmm. Interesting. Not only do they question his authority, but they accuse him of a crime. You're blasphemous. You're blaspheming against God, which suggests that he's either pronouncing something against the divine name or, or, or he's demonstrating a prerogative that is only exclusive to Yahweh. He said you are blasphemous, which is punishable by death, according to Leviticus chapter 24. Punishable by stoning. Now, before Jesus demonstrates his authority over sin, he does something else that shows how authoritative he really is. You know what he did? He reads their mind. <laughs> he reads their mind. In verse 8, he says, right after Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were thinking like this within themselves, he said to them, why are you thinking of these things in your heart? In other words, Jesus is showing how omniscient he is. He's showing that he knows all things. He's showing he knows your thoughts near and he knows your thoughts far. It's amazing that we think that we can hide our thoughts from Jesus. That's why when I fall to my knees in prayer, I always confess. <laughs> I start with thanksgiving, then I move to confessing. Jesus, you know what's really in my heart. I'm only communicating to you so that the devil can't hold me responsible for hidden secrets or hidden sin. Jesus is displaying his authority by reading their thoughts. He moves from their author his authority of their thoughts to now he's about to prove that I have authority over sin. Look at verses 9 through 12. He says, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But so that you might know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin, he told the paralytic. I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he got up, took the mat, and went out in front of everybody. This was a classic 
rabbinical move right here. The reason why I say it's a classical rabbinical move is because he goes from the lesser to the greater. And not only was it a classical rabbinical move, but they live in what we call a shame honor society. And so when he tells him to get up, take your mat and walk away, what he's doing is he's humiliating them before all those who are watching to show that I'm right and you're wrong. In fact, the text says that the man got up and went out in front of everybody. See, sometimes I think we think Jesus is just this Facebook Jesus. I love everybody. No. Jesus does not play about his holiness. Jesus does not play about his divinity. Jesus does not play when your actions will cause someone else to stumble away from him. So what was done in secret, he exposed publicly so that they may know that the Son of Man is here. Which brings up this awesome question. Why is Jesus showing that he has authority in teaching? Why is he showing that he has authority over demons? And why is he showing that he has authority in sin? And the answer to that question is in verse 10 of chapter 2. For the readers then and for us now. For it says so that you may know. So that you may know the Son of Man. The reason why Jesus is demonstrating his authority is so that the readers then and us now might know who he is. That's why this is important. Christ is constantly revealing himself to us so that we might recognize that he is who he says he is. And it's funny because the Father and the Spirit in chapter 1 said this was the Son of God. Satan, when he was trying to deceive him, said he was the Son of God. The demon who was trying to show his authority towards him said he was the son of God. And Jesus himself is saying, I am the son of God. I am the Messiah. Jesus says, everything I am doing is so that 2D people might receive the 3D divine revelation that I'm God. Everything that I talked about today was based on you knowing who God is. And if you're not a follower of Jesus today, you got a chance to recognize that. And if you are a follower of Jesus, he's trying to help you and remind you of the authority that you're going to be walking into. Come back. There's another sermon that's going to be on that one, right? I want to do something today. And the reason why I want to do this quick exercise, not for shame, not for show, but I want to show you all that the authority of God is still working today, all right? With just a show of hands. Like I said, no shame, but just to show that Jesus is still working. Who has been forgiven of your sins by Jesus? Put them down. Who has been protected or deliver from demonic attacks. Here's another one. Who has experienced the healing of Jesus? 
Who has heard the voice of God through scripture? Now notice something, all the hands that were raised. In the midst of you, you have seen the authority of scripture. You have seen the authority of demonic oppression. You have seen healing. In the midst of you, you have witnessed the authority of Jesus. You don't just have to read it from the scriptures. You can see the effects of it even now. Which begs the question, what will your response be when you witness the authority of Jesus? And that's the question I'm going to leave you all with today. What is your response? We saw some who were astounded. We saw some who was amazed. We saw some who were angry. But what is your response going to be when you witness the authority of Jesus? For some, are you going to tell about the good news of Christ? For others, are you going to fall to your knees and worship and praise? For others, are you going to pray to the God who has authority over all things, who have brought you from darkness into his marvelous light? What is your response now that you have witnessed the authority of Jesus? Here's what I want to do. As the prayer team comes together, I want us to contemplate. My challenge for you all this week is simply to answer that question. How are you going to respond to the authority of Jesus? Are there some places in your life that you are bucking against the authority of God? Are there some places in your life that you need to let go? And then when God gives you the answer in regards to how you will respond, would you practice that response? If he tells you to go share the gospel, would you go do that? If he tells you to worship him, would you worship him right where you are? If he calls you to pray, would you pray? What will your response be knowing that you have witnessed the authority of Jesus? Let us contemplate. Thank you again for listening to the Disciple City Church podcast. Until we meet again, shalom.